You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Okay, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to read about three verses there, and we're going to look at a parable. While you're finding that, I'll talk to you for a minute, kind of on uh, what Pastor Dave has just given to you. Um, I am excited to go with my wife away. I think that that's a wonderful thing for us to do. Um, I'm very grateful and very humbled that the church would send us somewhere. Um, I am nervous as can be about a month away from you, uh, a month away from this church. I am a confessed workaholic. I am in this church a lot. My office is my refuge. It's the place I go Uh, to think and to sit and to meditate and uh, to hide and to get away and escape and uh, all those kinds of things. Um, But um, uh, just the idea that the church is going on for a month without me, um, it it already, um, there's angst within inside of me about that. So we do need, I need prayer uh, in, in that respect. But I am looking forward very much to connecting with God. Uh, connecting with my wife, uh, but also realizing that, you know, next Sunday is my birthday. I'll be 59 years old. We're in uh, a neighborhood that God, we believe, is opening some wonderful doors for us to do ministry and and outreach in, and yet we feel also that we have uh, a calling to impact the whole of our community, wanting to see this church have greater impact, do more, all those kinds of things. Um, Barb and I are becoming empty nesters in a couple of months. I mean, there's just so many things there. And so one of the things that I really want to do is just spend some time with God uh, and sort of, sort of let him talk to me about who I am and where I am going and how I am to be a senior pastor in Life Church as we go forward into, uh, for me and for Barb, a new season of our lives. So it's really an exciting time. Now, please understand, because I've shared with a few people already uh, that we're leaving, and, uh, and some people immediately get very concerned that we are thinking about, like, leaving, leaving. You know, and that we're readjusting ourselves because we're trying to prepare you for the real news. And, and uh, that, that uh, it's, now, it's now Pastor Dave's time to step up and, and be the senior pastor. And he will not agree to that yet uh, for a long time. So we're stuck. You're stuck with, with us. Barb and I are not going anywhere but to England with return tickets. Okay, so we are coming back, and the intent is to come back refreshed and renewed and excited to pastor you and love you and care about you for a long time, all right? I don't, uh, we've talked about this kind of stuff, and, and um, my wife may retire soon. I'm not going to. Uh, it's, just, it's not in me to do that. And so we very much, very much feel that God has some wonderful things for us yet uh, ahead. And so we're very excited to, to maybe learn what some of that all looks like in, in, in the many months ahead as we, as we go together. I, I would not want to pastor another church. Uh, this is home to us. We, uh, we founded this church, uh, planted this church in Sioux Falls. Um, you're probably going to have to run us off at some point. Uh, but we, we love you. We love being here. And so please be assured that our intent is to grow into these latter years and hopefully be a rich contribution to all of you 
uh, as we continue to be here and to support uh, the ministry of Life Church. So very, very excited uh, for what is, is out there and what is ahead of us. And I have no uh, qualms, no reservations about turning you over to Pastor Dave as, as your pastor uh, for the, the 30 days. We will be leaving on May 27th. And we will be coming back on June 27th. Okay, so that 30-day period, Pastor Dave is your pastor, only pastor. So uh, I have total confidence in him, and I have total confidence in our elders. I think we have a tremendous team of elders, and uh, so proud of them, so thankful for them. They love you. They take care of you. They take care of Life Church. Uh, and so it's just, it, it, it's, it's a great, great ministry here that we have. So uh, over the next uh, three weeks, we're going to be hitting the road about the time Rachel and Matt hit the road. We're within a day of 24 hours, I think, of each other of heading out of the country. Um, but uh, we, you know, until then, uh, we're here uh, full gear. And when we get back, we're going to come back running. All right. So thank you so much for, uh, for, for allowing us to have that time away. We are grateful for it and really, really appreciative. Okay? Um, Enough said. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Let's look at that together, okay? Um, This is a a couple of little parables here that uh, we have, and uh, I'd like to just read it for you, and then uh, we'll go from there. All right, do we have it up there? Ah, there we go. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Let's pray. Oh God, speak to us this morning from these simple words. Speak to us out of your heart. Help us that we can look at this and understand that you you have so deeply loved us and you have given everything for us. Help us to uh, today realize the the significance of this passage as it pertains to your love and care for us, God. Be glorified in what we talk about here over the next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, we've had a lot going on today, and time is running out, and I just want to speak to you for just a few minutes here this morning and, uh, and, and try to encourage you today. Um, some people even sort of think that these maybe aren't really, really parables because they're so short, and they're just kind of crunched in here together, and the, change scene, the, the scene changes very quickly here. Uh, Jesus is talking to everyone around the sea, and then all of a sudden now he is pulled away, and he is with the disciples, and is just with them, and he begins to talk about these things. And there's early reference made uh, of how that the disciples will understand some things that maybe other people will not understand, and they will, they will be able to, to perceive and, and interpret things, and, and they will have knowledge. Uh, that the other people don't necessarily have. And so it's like he's being very uh, diligent and very intentional and very uh, purposeful here to share these things with them. So let's try to unpack it for just a little bit. Now let me ask you a couple of questions as we start to do that here over the next few minutes. And that is, have you ever lost anything where you spent a great deal of time looking for it? You know, have, how many of you have lost your keys? And you, uh, look, I mean, 
Yeah, and you just spend time, so much time, just, you know, you're looking for them, and oftentimes you've lost them somewhere, so you're away from home, so you've got to, you've got to find the keys before you can, can get back, you know, but they're, they're lost. They're, they're important to you, they're valuable to you, you need them. How many of you have lost your wallet uh, somewhere? You, you can't find your wallet, either at home or away, uh, but you're just, you know, you're just anxious because you can't find your wallet and you need it and the time is ticking away and that sort of thing. How many of you lost your children somewhere and couldn't find your children? Yeah, maybe you not like my wife and I so much, but, but we, we seem to have done that on several occasions where our children just went missing and we couldn't find them uh, for a little while. Um, and we could tell you some crazy stories about that. Uh, but uh, we, we have here some stories, uh, if you will. We have this idea of a, of a treasure that is in a field. It is obviously hidden away. And uh, I, I want you to know that, that you know, Jesus is teaching the crowds by using parables. Uh, um, and and, and this, is, this is something that's very, very uh, effective. And uh, you can read stories. I mean, you know, Pastor Dave teaches with stories and preaches with stories. I teach and preach with stories. I've heard, you know, Nathan, Christina, others in, in the congregation who have taught you or preached to you in the past use various stories and various examples from history. All of this is to convey some message to us. And, uh, and so Jesus now is using the, this idea of this, this lost treasure and this pearl of great price here to speak something to us. And so maybe if I could just give you several thoughts here this morning for just a few minutes, just several little things to think about, it can help you and I as we move forward here. And it will help us to understand, I think, a very wonderful aspect of God, all right? Um, I want to first talk about this, this piece of land and this treasure, and I want to give you maybe a, a, a few principles that that I've, I've learned over the years from other leaders that have shared on this particular passage and some that, that I've read about. And I don't want to really get too, too deep into this today. And there, there's, there's a lot here to unpack. There really is. And, and maybe at another time we can, we can do that. But I want you to understand something about this particular uh, parable. And that is this. Number one is that, um, and, and I don't know how, how the man knew there was a treasure in the field, but, but when the man came to the field, it would appear that he came looking for something. He was, and by that, I don't know that he necessarily was intentionally looking for a specific treasure, all right? I don't know that, that he was looking for one particular thing that he thought he would find in this particular field. I don't know that he had something in his mind so much so that he was looking for. But the idea here, here is that this man came into this field and there was something about this man. He was, he was astute. He was alert. He was attentive. He was aware he was looking around about him. And I want to challenge you and I that we learn something from this. That when we are astute in the sense that we are aware, that we are looking, that we are, we are believing that there is something to be found, we will find something. All right? Because here I think is the problem of Christians a lot of times is, is, is and, and we may be guilty of this in seasons of our lives or moments of our lives, but I think a lot of times we think, okay, I'm saved, so it's good. You know, I'm good. I'm good. And we miss so many treasures in life. And I would like to 
to pre- present to you the idea that many of the treasures that you miss, that you don't find in this field of life, are opportunities. Opportunities for God to use you in some wonderful and powerful ways. And when we just go through our lives as though nothing out there matters or nothing out there is important for us to find, there's nothing for us to look for, there's nothing for us to do, there's nothing else that we need to be a part of or that we need to invest ourselves in or that that we need to acquire, then we miss so much. I think, honestly, I think this is a story of a man who's just going through a field and he's, he's looking around, he's aware, there's, there's, there's a lot there and suddenly he finds this treasure and it is so valuable in his estimation that he must acquire it and the only way to acquire it somehow is connected to this property in some way and he can't just take it so he's got to take the he's got to buy the field he's got to go and so he goes and he works and he makes enough money to acquire the land he purchases the field so that he can have the treasure the richest woman in the world lives in australia she is now worth billions of dollars I'm quite confident she will not ever hear this message that is being preached today on the podcast. Um, So I'm going to take a little risk here, right? I'm I'm not going to name her name, but I'm going to tell you this. She's not a very attractive lady. There's nothing special about her. She's not an overly charismatic woman. She's not rather pretty. She isn't even liked by her family. But she's the wealthiest woman in the world. And her wealth is in billions. And she daily makes millions. Her father was traveling across the outback of Australia. And this was many years ago. And he saw some bluffs, and he realized that there was something embedded in those bluffs, in those rocks, in this sort of desolate area of the outback of Australia. And he thought, there's a treasure in there. And so he went and bought it. He acquired all of this vast land that everyone else thought was worthless, It had no value. And what it was, it was simply iron ore. These these rocky areas were filled with some of the finest iron ore in the world. And so after he purchased the land and later, he began to extract that iron ore and they, as they mined for it, they began to sell the iron ore and he made millions had this daughter and, and, and raised her in the, the mining culture. And she rose up to be this very confident, rugged, adamant, outback Australian woman who has now assessed billions of dollars. It is said that there are many, many, many people who 
crossed that outback over the years and looked at that land, but never saw the treasure. Never, ever saw the treasure. I would hope that you and I would live out of the kingdom and out of the principles of the kingdom and begin to realize that, that, that you and I need to have our, our eyes and our ears alert. We need to be honed in to be able to see what are the opportunities for you and I. And then another principle that I want you to, to, to understand from that is uh, be careful what you are looking for. You just might find it. As you, as you open your heart uh, and you see what is around you, and you look. Uh, Brent, let me give you a, sort of a, an example of what I'm trying to say here. Remember the rush of the 49ers in 1849? People left the east and went west for one thing. What was it? Absolutely. Everybody knows it was gold. That's all that anybody went after was gold. All right? And some people found it. Some people became very, very rich as a, re- as a result of going west and finding gold. All right? they, uh, they found their treasure uh, when they got in there and worked hard and, and went after it. But there were a lot of people who found something else. They found pyrite, which is known as fool's gold. Looks like gold. Feels like gold. But it's not gold. Would you make sure that as we go forward as a church that we're looking for the real deal? The real deal. I have a great, great concern about the Church of America. And I'm building on my sermon from last Sunday. Foundationally, we need to build on Jesus Christ and nothing else. And in the church, there is a fool's gold. There is something out there that everyone is saying, it looks like Jesus, it feels like Jesus. It looks like the Holy Spirit, it feels like the Holy Spirit. But it is a fool's copy. And it has nothing. It is empty. It is empty. And I want to challenge you and I that we go after the real deal, that we are looking for Jesus Christ and nothing else. As pastors, we are relentless in that pursuit, and we are telling you, and we stand by it, that we will preach nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? That is where we're going to stand. That is where we're going to fall every time. We are intent on bringing you the truth. And we want, as your heart is searching, as you're, as you're longing and searching and looking, that you are finding Jesus through the ministry of Life Church. All right? So, I, 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 and I do. I submit to you that there's, there's, a, there's a lot of fool's gold Christians out there in the world. All right? And they're running around in, in all of our, our churches. And, 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 and they're experiencing things that they are calling God. And they are, they are not always God. And so I want to challenge you that, that you look for those things that are, are the real deal. All right? Now, here's another, another interesting fact about this parable. And that is that the man who owned the field, whoever the original owner was, he didn't know what he had. If he had known there was a treasure there, he would have never sold it. He would have taken the treasure for himself. Folks, 
you sit here in this church and you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached to you and you get foundational truths from our teachers that present to you, please understand what you have as a treasure in Jesus Christ. And take advantage of sharing that treasure with others. Know what you've got. Don't sell it short. And don't compromise it and sell it for less than its value. All right? Don't live in such a way that you are compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Gill is a writer, and he, he, he shares um, an idea, and the idea is that, that this, uh, this treasure that this man finds is... It's not really like a portable treasure. It's not like something in a chest that you could, you know, pick it up and take it with you, but rather it might be something more like something that could be mined, like iron ore or something like that. It was something in some way connected to the land. And so when he found it, he, he uh, made sure that it was, again, hidden away, that it wasn't obvious to others so that they too would find it. So he, he kept it secret until he could go and get the money and then he could come back and buy the land surrounding the mine. And um, I'm, I'm reminded in, in, in reading that and, and thinking about that over the last week that um, I, I, I've seen Christians and, and I think I've probably been tempted myself at times and maybe you have too, um, of of devaluing our faith, devaluing our Christianity, devaluing our spiritual disciplines, not, not treasuring them. I, I am excited to go to England. I am excited also that I will have times to just spend in prayer and, and to, to do some reading and to be alone in that and just enjoy that because I put a value on that. And, and I, I, I hope that you and I, that, that we will begin to see a, a greater evidence that in the church we are valuing the right things, that we are, we are truly holding the, the spiritual disciplines high, that we are not compromising the gospel and, and selling out to some sort, of, some sort of like secular or compromised uh, theology, all right? And that's happening a lot in the world today. The, the church is in crisis because the church is being said to be uh, of no relevance anymore, and people are leaving the church. And it's dramatic numbers, especially of young people, 30 and under, who are leaving the church. And it's said that, that there is a, a, an unbelievable number of people who, when they leave high school and they leave home and go to college, that within that first year of, of college, that the, 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 the number of students who are Christians and who have been involved in church and been faithful in church attendance and, and, and all those kinds of things, it, it's like 80-something percent now are just walking away from that. So the church is feeling some crisis, all right? But I don't want you and I to be people who are operating based off crisis management, and so we, we choose to compromise truth or we choose to compromise the integrity of the church, you know, uh, by... Uh, opening it up and making it broader and, and more inclusive at the expense of truth. Finally, on this one, when this man found this treasure, this is what it comes down to, he sold everything. He sold everything he had and he bought that field. That's what the Bible says. He sold everything. He, 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 
Jesus is asking you and I to follow his example. God gave everything when he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins and my sins. All right? He sold out. There's something that he wants to give us. But, but the only way we can take full possession of it, I believe, is to sell out ourselves, all right? And it may seem like sacrifice at first, all right? To give up stuff that gives us security or, or takes care of us or comforts us or makes us feel good. But what he has for you, what God has for you is so precious. And you and I need to be willing to do whatever it takes to get what God has for us. When I first became a Christian, one of the things that I wanted to do was be a missionary. I, I wanted so much to go to another, another country. And, and I, 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 through the, the denomination that I was involved in, I filled out all the paperwork. I did this all on my own as a young man. I was about 22 years old at the time. And uh, I, I talked to no one about it. It was sort of a secret desire of my heart. But I went through the, the whole process. And... Uh, and, and was, was really trying to, to do that. And, and, and all the time, God was leading me in, in a different direction. But I wanted so much to do that. And, and I remember when God really began to speak to me about pastoral ministry and about preaching. And, and I was so stubborn about it and so hard-headed about it, you know. I mean, that was me. That's how I was. That's how I grew up. God saved me. God sanctified me. God delivered me. God matured me. Um, unfortunately, the stubbornness didn't go as fast as some other things. Deliverance didn't come fully uh, right away. And so I, I was even stubborn with God. But I remember wrestling with God and I said, God, I'm not, there's one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to preach in a church. I'm not going to pastor a church. And I, I remember being out among some trees on a college campus and I was, I was angry and I was crying. And I, and I just said, God, we have to settle this. I am not a pastor. I am not a preacher. And I'm walking around and I'm not feeling peace about all of this. And, and I, I, was, I was sort of anxious. I was frustrated. It was like, we have to get this taken care of. We have to resolve this. And so finally, after just stomping around under some trees in, in Minot, North Dakota, of all places, I'm like, okay, God, here's the deal. I am not going to be a preacher. I am not going to be a pastor. I don't want to do this. I, I'm actually against it. And so the only way I would ever be a pastor of a church, you would just have to, you, you just tell someone to call me and tell me I should be their pastor. That's what you do. And I go back into the dormitory there. And this guy says, hey, I didn't know you were here. The phone, phone, uh, phone rang. It was, it was for you. Was a, a man wants to talk to you. Here's the number. And um, I didn't know what it was go over. These are like old pay phones. This is way back a long time ago. You know, they're old pay phones hanging on the wall in a dormitory. Desolate little dormitory. Old wooden floors, you know. Radiators, those big iron radiators. And you know, I'm standing there. The radiator's right by the phone. I'm trying to get warm. I dial the phone. And this, I, this guy says, hello? And I said, Hello, this is Bill Carpenter. Oh, 
Bill. He goes, uh, we just had a meeting, and uh, the, the, the elders of the church have decided that we want you to be our pastor. <laughs> I was so mad. I said, no, you don't. You don't want me to be your pastor. I am not material to be your pastor. Oh, yes, we decided. <laughs> and, and I won't go into all of it, but, but at the end of the day, I said, I, 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 I compromised. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Until you get your pastor, until you find your pastor, I'll just come up and do pulpit supply for you. I'll just, I had been and done that once, one time in their church, and, and, and I, I shared and, and so now they're calling me to come back and be their, their full-time pastor in, the, in, their, in their little church up on the Canadian border. And, and I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to preach the gospel. But long story short, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll interim for you, you know. It was about nine years later that God began to deal with us about coming here and planting a church. And we pastored that little church. And I grew immensely in that time. But I could, if I had not been willing, uh, it's not, I'm not puffing me up, I'm using me as the example because I think you can relate to this. The, the, the struggle, the struggle of wanting to give up your life, the struggle of wanting to give up your dream, the struggle of wanting to do what you want to do. And being able to say, okay, at the end of it all, okay, God, I, 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 I give up. It's, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And I, you know, I wasn't there in dealing with God. I was, I was like, okay, you just make it happen. If you make it happen, then, you know, yeah, sure. And I thought I had created a situation that was an impossibility. So after the phone call, I have to say, God, I'm so sorry that in my selfishness, and am I wanting to do what I want to do that I couldn't sell out to you? So there was all of that going. And then I'm deciding, okay, I want to be on the mission field. And I don't want to be in a church. And God spoke to me in that moment in a very real way and said, you know what? I'm going to require as much from you in sacrifice where I'm taking you. That's where you would want to go. I had to say, okay, then I will give you that. I will give you that. And, and I felt like God smiled on me. Not because he was necessarily happy with me or anything like that. I just felt like God smiled on me. And I felt like he was saying to me, good. Because I've given everything. You. And I've operated off of that principle over the years. We, 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 we've got to stop. Uh, let's look at, for just a moment, this, this idea of this pearl of great price. I, uh, <laughs> this, I'm going to be honest with you. This passage that, that 
I had such a good idea of what I wanted to, how I wanted to preach and present this, this sermon to you. And, and honestly, God has just ripped me up all week about this whole message. And he's really just dealt with me about my own heart. He's just really, really challenged me here. And, and I want to just talk for a moment about this pearl of great price. And I'll let you go. And we'll eat some good food together, all right? I made this great dish today from Ethiopia. You're just going to love it. And it tastes so good. So I'm just excited to share it all with you. So I want us to get out there. But give me just a few more minutes here and let me talk to you. I was reading one writer who said, you know, pearls, pearls were not really that valued in Hebrew culture. And I was like, wait a minute. We're, look at the parable of Jesus. You know, look at, look at what he uses and, 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 but, but if you look at pearls in the Old Testament, uh, you'll find that they're only mentioned once, and that's Job 28, 18. And, and it, sa- it says there, No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. You know, it doesn't really put a lot of value on pearls, does it? Not, not in, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, it was actually the Gentiles rather than the Jews that considered pearls to be gems. And it's striking then to me that the Lord uses this idea of a pearl to describe here uh, the church, his people. Now in time, the church would become largely a Gentile body, wouldn't it? It would become an institution that's devalued by the Jews, disregarded by them. And then when you think about how a pearl is formed, I think it's even more striking. Pearls are, of course, found in oysters. That's how they get there. Uh, Their life is through the the oyster. Pearl, unlike other precious stones, is the product of life. The life of the oyster. And what happens is an irritant gets in piece of sand, trash, whatever. When the oyster opens its shell, something gets in and lodges against the tenderness of the oyster itself. And as it does, then the oyster begins to secrete something out of its body. It, it, it gives out, it throws off this secretion and it forms around the sand or whatever that's called uh, nacre. gets around it so that it protects the, the oyster from the, from the irritant. It just completely covers it. And it keeps doing it. It keeps adding these layers, the body of the oyster. The, the oyster actually spends its life secreting this so that it's building this, this smoothness around this irritant, this sand or whatever. And of course, the bigger the the pearl, obviously, the longer the life of the oyster has been, and it's been able to do that. It makes nice pearls. That means that the, the oyster is put up with the irritant for a very long time. Honestly, how do you see the people around us? I mean, do you really love them? 
We, we sat in an elders meeting this week and we talked about the church and it growing. And one of the big things that came out of that discussion was, you know what, whatever we do, we have to do it in love. We have to do it in love. He finds this pearl of great price and he gives up everything, sells everything to get it. To have it. Gives everything. It's so ironic that he uses the pearl as the example because the pearl is that example of the oyster expending its life to cover what is an irritant and suddenly it becomes something of great value. Your value is not in what you do and how much you've done and what other people say about you, but your value is in the fact that God has given his son to die for you. There is no greater price paid than for you and for me. And this church becomes, I'm not speaking about life church now, the church becomes that pearl of great price. We, we are that. Because Jesus emptied himself out so that you and I could be that. How do you look at this? How, how, how do you look at this neighborhood? How do you look at the people around you? How do you look at the people you work with, and and the people on the street, and the, in the supermarket, or, or or maybe even the people in this church, or especially the people who come into this church? Are they just an irritant? How many of you ever driven downtown? In, in, in the evening, all around 5, 6, you see many homeless people, many transient people down there. I'm not saying that, that we're now supposed to be the church that has the homeless ministry. That's what the mission has, and the banquet feeds people. I'm not saying we need to do all those things. But what I am saying is, is that, that I think God checks our hearts, and God has been checking my heart. This sermon probably is just my confession to you today. I don't know. But God has been checking my heart all week about how I see lost people. And I've realized that I've seen lost people as an irritation, an interruption. And I'm not just talking about a homeless person. It can be a person of substance. But it's like... Lost people sometimes becomes an irritant to us, the church, because we want to get on with our business of religion. And God is demonstrated to us that he is calling us to expend, give ourselves for this wonderful, wonderful pearl that right now is an irritant to us. You're following the picture there? And he's saying you need to excrete your life, if you will. You need to to take out of yourself what will cover the irritation. Because that is what Jesus has done. He found the pearl. 
and he bought it with his life. You say, well, that's different. You're talking about an unformed pearl. Yes, I am. What were you before Jesus? What were you? What was I? See, I know something. I'll stop here in just a second. I know something that I can't shake and I can't get away from. And that is that there was a moment in time when I came to the realization that I was wretched. I was dominated by sin. I was repulsive not only to God, but to the world. I was choosing absolute total rebellion against God. I was filling my life with everything that could sedate me from food to drugs to whatever. And I did not want God. I wanted me. And people came to me and they tried to teach me the right way. And they tried to help me to understand. In the early years of college, I remember an older man who came and he would walk the halls of that school and people would make fun of him. And I remember one night he came into my room and he sat down, this little old man, and he said, please, let me just tell you about Jesus. And I was just like, oh, I got it, man. I'm I'm fine. This little hippie boy just, I'm in touch. I'm okay. It's just me and God. I don't need anybody else. I I got it all worked out. I've worked it out. I, I got it. Don't worry. And he said, no, please let me talk to you. You need Jesus. You, you, you need Jesus in your life. And he's got tears in his eyes. And I dismissed him and told him he needed to go. But here's the thing. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was an irritant, While I was disrespectful and dishonorable and rebellious, Christ died for me. And and maybe that isn't your testimony, and I hope it isn't. Maybe yours is a lot sweeter, a lot more refined. I don't know. But I do know this, regardless of whether your testimony and your story is refined or unrefined like mine, you're still a sinner until you know Jesus. And that is our common place. That's where we find our common places right there. And I want to challenge you today that you and I understand this amazing gift that God has given to us in eternal life. He sent his son to die for us. And I so commend Matt and and Rachel and, and others who have left out of this church to sell out and to to do the work of bringing the gospel to unreached people groups. And I want to applaud that, and I want to support that, and I I want to, to give to that. But as we close today, I want to ask you, how are you looking at Sioux Falls, South Dakota? How are you looking at your neighborhood? How are you looking at this neighborhood? How are you seeing us And how are you seeing the people who come in? And if they are nothing more than an irritant, then we need some Holy Spirit help 
here. But I would ask you that you would join with me to see where we have come from so that we can better understand where we need to go. Because I believe that God has many wonderful, beautiful, priceless pearls out there that he very much wants to redeem. He wants to buy them back. And you know what? He's already paid the price. And you and I need to bring this wonderful good news. That is the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about.